free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanks, St Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Was with you, uh, Galatians chapter 6. I want to talk this morning, really, uh, as we come into this Easter period, I want to talk about the victory of the cross, the power of the cross. Just one verse from Galatians chapter 6, just verse 14. This is a kind of, it's a pretty staggering verse when you really kind of think about it. Look at the power of that verse there. But God forbid that I should boast in, I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Isn't that awesome? I just think that is so staggering, that verse. How many have ever read the, uh, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? I don't even remember that book. I haven't even read that book. You know, that book actually, I mean, I remember when I was a very young Christian, one of my friends, he, he was reading the whole chronicles of it, and I, I thought, why would a grown man read the book of Narnia? You know, why would you do that? But it's amazing, the theology that's in that book. It really is a, a book of just incredible theology. And you may remember that Aslam, remember Aslam? He's the lion, incidentally. And he represents Jesus. He represents Jesus. Uh, the children, uh, they represent, obviously, they, they call them the, well, the daughters of Eve and the sons of Adam, so they obviously represent the Christian, the, the, the believer, really, as it goes on. And as part of that story, when the witch kills, remember the witch kills Aslam? And then he, he rises from the dead, and, and, and the children are there, the, the two girls are there, that, you know, that when he rises, they're cuddling him, and they're amazed by but I think it's Susan who says something pretty powerful. She says, Aslam, what does all this mean? And that's a good question to ask ourselves as we consider the cross, as we consider the resurrection. Here's a question. Actually, when it comes down to it, what does it all mean, really? What does it all mean? What's it all about? And so I want to maybe share a few things of what I think is really what the cross really is really all about. I think that the basis of provision for a believer, for everything that we need in time, eternity, for every department, of every sphere of our life, whether it be emotional, whether it be physical, whether it be material, whether it even be financial. Everything that we come into receiving is all by the cross. Every provision comes for us by the cross. Either we receive it from the cross, or we don't really receive it at all. It all comes from the cross. I think there's this amazing verse again in Romans 8. It says, He 
who did not spare his only son, will he not give us what? All things through Christ Jesus who loves us. Isn't that awesome? We receive everything that we need for life comes from the cross. Can you say amen? So, everything that I receive comes via the cross and if I don't receive it via the cross, then I don't receive it at all. He who did not spare his only son. It's a question. If he didn't do that, then he won't he provide for every other area of your life. When I receive everything, everything through the cross. Isn't the cross wonderful? The second thing about the cross is this. Not only does it mean that everything we receive for body, soul, spirit is provided from the cross, the second thing about the cross, it shows and demonstrates Satan's total and utter defeat. The cross signifies that the devil has been defeated once and for all. He can't remove that. He can't undo it. Jesus has totally defeated the devil and the enemy once and for all. Nothing more he can do about it. Can you say amen? But here's a second. I want you to notice this because although the devil cannot remove what Jesus has already done, what he seeks to do He seeks to obscure from the believer's eyes, he seeks to obscure from the believer what Jesus has done for us at the cross. He can't stop what he's done, but what he can do is blind the believer of the provision of the cross. And when we're obscured, when we lose sight of what the cross has done, then we no longer enter into the provision of what the cross has achieved for us. And I think when we, when we lose sight of the cross, I tell you what begins to happen in our lives. We begin to lose true passion for God. We don't live with the benefits that the cross has provided for us. And we tend to run to other things to find our solutions. We live lives that really aren't really truly satisfied because we're looking for other things to satisfy the things in our hearts because we've lost How awesome, how amazing, how passionate the cross is and what it's all about. Can you say amen? Let me show you a verse what happens. Powerful verse. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. Here is a spirit-filled church. A church that has witnessed miracles and signs and wonders. Listen to what Paul says to them in Galatians 3 verse 1. This is what he says. Oh, Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you, crucified? I want you to see the power of that verse. If you look at that word there, foolish, it means crazy. He says, are you absolutely crazy? Have you lost your mind? And then he uses the word there, which is another powerful word. He uses the word, who has bewitched you. That same word, actually, is the word that is used for witchcraft. And he's saying, how come you've allowed the enemy to almost come with this sense of... Because remember, witchcraft really is all about control. He says, you've allowed the enemy to bring control over you and you've lost sight of the cross. Who has bewitched you? Why have you allowed the enemy 
to remove you and to drive you away from the cross. And really say that you should never ever move away from the cross. The whole basis of our relationship with God is based on the cross. As a result, in Galatians, there are two things that result from that sense. They lost sight of the cross. Two things came as a result of that. The first thing was legalism. They became very, very legalistic. Legalism, in in essence, is people trying to earn God's blessings. Trying to, to work for their salvation. And he says, because you've lost sight of the cross, now you become legalistic and you've also entered into carnality. You're trying to achieve the Christian life by works, by your own strength, by your own power, because you've lost sight of the cross. Who's blinded you? Who's deceived you? Who's bewitched you? What are you playing at? For you've lost sight of the central thing of all, which is the cross. Amen? Now, here is the question. Go back to Galatians 5, because there's the, the power to see. Paul said, I'm going to glory in the cross. He says, because the cross enables me to do everything that I do. I'm learning to glorify in the cross. He said, I glory in nothing but the cross. And he says, because I glory in the cross, because that's the one thing that burns and grips and gets a hold of my heart. He says, because of that, I'm dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? To actually say, have you ever ever heard this? And it's kind of a horrible statement when you hear it. I've heard people say that often in families. I've heard them say about their children. That my child, as far as I'm concerned, is dead to me. I've never read that. Have you ever heard someone say that? That child, even though it's alive, it's dead. They're dead to me. That child is dead to me. That's a, that's a powerful thing to say. And Paul, when he's looking at the world, he says, the world, as far as I'm concerned, the influence of the world, the values of the world, the, the, the attraction of the world, the pull of the world, as far as I'm concerned, I'm dead to it. It no longer has any pull over me. It no longer has any influence over me. As far as I'm concerned, I'm dead to it. Isn't that powerful? Wow. That's why he lived such a life of power. Because the world had no power and no influence over him because he realized one thing. As far as he was concerned, he was dead to the world and the world was dead to him. Isn't that awful? And he says, because of that, I glorify in the cross. I think this, if you like, the, the three most powerful words in the New Testament are these words. It is what? Finished. Say that after me. It is finished. Really, that's the testimony of our life, really. Because Paul said, I glorify in the cross because as far as I'm concerned... That through the work of the cross, everything was accomplished and done. It is finished. It's been done away with. It is totally finished. 
to, to, to be able to declare that means that that's what it means to live on the right side of the cross. I think a lot of Christians, really, in essence, don't really live with a revelation of that truth. It is finished. They don't live with the truth and the reality of that. And because of that, they, they, they try everything with human effort. They're struggling to be righteous. They're struggling with sin and the flesh. And they never fully come into the full benefit of the cross because they've never realized it is finished. I often describe this like this. It's like going into a supermarket, buying all your goods, you know, going to Waitrose, filling your trolley with all the stuff from Waitrose, coming back to your house and suddenly realizing that all the stuff that you bought, you've left it right there in the trolley at Waitrose. I've not done a lot. I've done a few things. People go, oh, no. The main thing I went for, I've left in the trolley. Have you ever done that? And that's what it's like. It's like Jesus saying it's finished, but you have left all the goods back there, and you're never living in the full benefits of what the cross has done. It is what? Finished. It's finished. And the reason why Paul could say, I glory in the cross, he says, from now on, it's no longer based on human effort. It's God empowering us. Instead of struggling to be righteous, we're already the righteousness of Christ. Instead of struggling with sin, we are dead to sin. It is finished. And now we live in the power of being new creatures. We're not living towards the cross, but we're living from the power of the cross. And until we get that, we tend to live our Christian lives based on self-effort and self-dependence. The only way really you achieve a powerful Christian life is to realize that through the cross, I'm able to live my life in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is never meant to be lived by sheer self-effort and self-will. That's the problem with Galatians. It was always meant to be lived by the power of the Spirit. Here's the point. Do you know your human flesh can't live the Christian life? I only realize that. You just can't do it. The only way you live, because the Christian life to the human flesh is impossible to live. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? And the Holy Spirit enables you and empowers you to live the Christian life. And that all comes about by realizing that from the cross, it is finished. Jesus has done it all. And now I am a new creation. See, the cross really is not just about forgiveness. As awesome as that is, it's not just about forgiveness. The Bible makes it quite clear. Jesus didn't just forgive our sin on the cross, but he crucified our sin nature that produces the sin in the first place. Is that right? That's what God's about. God gets to the root of the problem. If all he did was to forgive your sin, that would mean the power that produces the sin in the first place hasn't been dealt with. Is that right? And on the cross, Jesus dealt with the thing that produces the sin, which is the sin nature. And the way he dealt with the sin nature 
was to crucify it, was to put it to death. So when Jesus died on the cross, so did your sin nature. And God sets us free really from the power of sin. He doesn't try to improve your old man. He doesn't, seem to imp- he doesn't try to improve your flesh. He doesn't add to it. He doesn't try to make you a bit of a better person. He crucifies, he puts to death your old nature. You have been what? Crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And when that kind of gets hold of you, I think it just brings such a freedom to your life. When you realize we have been crucified with Christ. And I think the areas in our life where we struggle is because we've not had a revelation on that area of our life where we struggle that actually we've died to it. We've never had a revelation. We've never really understood that that area of my life, that habit, that, that thing I'm struggling with, that things I can't seem to overcome and deal with, I've never had a revelation in that area of my life that I have died to it. When you get a revelation of that, it makes you realise, I have power over it. Jesus has defeated it. I can live in freedom because of the cross. What does a cross really say? 2 Corinthians 5.17 I am a new creation. Does it say part of the old has gone? He says, all the old has gone. And here's the powerful word. He says, everything is new. When you become a Christian, everything about you actually becomes new. The old is gone. And here's our problem. We don't fully believe the old is gone. We believe there's still parts of the old still there. But as far as the Bible is concerned, the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. In fact, in the Living Bible, it describes this. It says that you are a new species of being. No one existed like you. Nothing existed like the new creation. The old is gone. And now you live in the power of new creation. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what the cross is all about. It's God taking your old nature, the old you, the effort, all the things that, that, that are part of the old you, your mistakes, your failures, all that represents your old you, Jesus took the old you, your old flesh, and crucified it and put it to death. So that you now live in the power of a new creation. It's the resurrected life of Jesus. If we've died with Christ, that we know we've been raised to newness of life with him. Can you say amen? Look at Romans 6. Really, that's what your baptism is all about. Who thought about that? Your baptism, believe it or not, that's what your baptism declared. Romans 6. Verse 2 to 4. Yes, look at verse 1. It says this, Shall we then 
continue in sin that grace may abound. That's the issue. That's the question. He's saying, does it mean you just, just, that you live your life under the power and the control of sin? Is that the way you live now? He says, no. He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in newness of life. Isn't that awesome? He's saying that when you were baptized, it was a funeral. It was the funeral of your old man and your old nature and your flesh. That was a, that's what took place. It was a funeral. And right there, your baptism declared all those old things are dead, finished, gone, removed. And now I'm living in the power of a new creative life. Newness, let me love that. Newness of life. New creation. Newness of life in Christ Jesus. I love it. Now, the cross... I believe it's a picture also of of divine romance. Paul said it this way. The Son of God loved me and he gave himself for me. Isn't that awesome? Son of God loved me and he gave himself for me. And you think about this as a parent, if you're a parent here today. How many, if you knew your children had certain issues and certain struggles... How many, if you had the power, would be happy to leave them that way? How many would say that's love, that you just leave your children, knowing them following certain destructive ways, that that's love, you just leave them doing that? That's not love, is that right? Love would desire for them to change and be different. Is that right? God loves you too much to leave you as you are. All right. And so, his idea, the purpose of the cross, was that so you would become so transformed that you're no longer bent towards sin, but you're bent towards righteousness. You're bent towards righteousness. And here's the power, that Jesus doesn't take your sin to the cross, just your sin to the cross. He takes your old nature to the cross. And right there, this transaction takes place. I just want you to see, you're never coming to the full transaction of the new life until you give him your old life. Until you come and say, Lord, I'm giving you all that old stuff. I'm, I'm bringing to you my old nature and I'm laying it at the cross and I recognize I've died to it. It's when you bring yourself to the cross that you can begin to experience the power of the resurrected life. F.B. Mayer. How many of you F.B. Mayer? He says these words. He says, you cannot be possessed by, this, by, by the self-life and the cross-life at the same time. When we bring our life to the cross and assign our old life to the nails, the Spirit of Christ will break on us with power. So I take some of all the old things, my attitudes, the struggles, the pains, the hurts, the disappointments. 
and I take them to the cross and I put the nails through them. I begin to recognize, actually, I've died to those things. I'm putting those things to death. So the life of Christ can begin to work in me. Now listen carefully to this and build on this. Charles Finney once said that Christians only believe in the imputed righteousness. That is where Christ covers our unrighteousness with his righteousness, which is true. But he said this, righteousness is imparted, which means that where God looks at you, he sees you as the righteousness of Christ. In fact, the Bible says this, this is powerful, it says that you are partakers of the divine nature. Have you ever got that truth? Here's what he's saying. He says a lot of Christians live more with a sense of a sin consciousness than they do a righteous conscious. You know what I mean by that? They're more conscious of their failures. They're more conscious of their struggles. They're more conscious of their weaknesses. They're more conscious of their, of their unworthiness. They're more conscious of their, of, 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 of their inferiorities. They're more conscious of all those things, but they're not really conscious of the fact that they've been made into the righteousness of Christ. And what happens when you don't get that is this. You try self-will. You try self-effort. You go to people to try to find the answers to your problems. You try this, you try that. Nothing seems to work. The same problems seem to defeat you. The same things seem to pull you down time after time after time. And no matter how hard you try, how much effort you put in, it doesn't seem to work. So you then come to this conclusion. That means I am never going to change. That fear I have, and I've tried to deal with that fear for years, I've tried everything I know, that means... That's it now. I'm never going to deal with it. I'm never going to overcome that. That is going to be part of me for the rest of my life. That means you, and so you never, and so you, that means you get disappointed, you get, you get, you get kind of frustrated, and you feel defeated, you feel not good about yourself, you feel inferior, you feel low self-esteem, and all these things come because you've never realized that one truth, that through Jesus, you have been made the righteousness of Christ. I'm not struggling to obtain it. It's already there. That's already where I've become. I'm already through the cross. I've been made the righteousness of Christ. And here's what happens when you begin to realize that. When you begin to recognize that. When you begin to live in the power of that. You look at things in your life and you think, you know what? I don't have to be a person that holds on to unforgiveness because because I'm the righteousness of Christ. How can the righteousness of Christ live with unforgiveness and bitterness in their heart? Is that right? How can someone who's the righteousness of Christ, how can I keep complaining about things in life if if I'm the righteousness of Christ? How can that issue really be in my life if I realize I'm the righteousness of Christ? In other words, when I see myself as the righteousness of Christ, I begin to live that way. If I never see myself as the righteousness of Christ, I will never begin to live live that way. The way I see myself will affect the way I live. 
So the more I begin to see it, the more I begin to recognise it, the more I begin to live in the power of it through the cross, then I begin to live it out in a practical daily life. Awesome. Because I've realised what the cross has achieved in my life. I have to think this. Can you imagine if we lived our life with a sense of righteousness? If we lived our life with a sense that we are being loved by God. I think our lives would be different. We'd be lifted from anxiety. We'd be lifted from disappointment. We'd be lifted by being controlled by fear. Because we know at the cross that Jesus caused us to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And here's what I really want you to see. Actually, that means we're not fighting for the victory. The victory's already been won. And my life can change because of the victory that's already won. I'm not trying to win to get the victory. I'm fighting, my, I'm fighting the struggles. I'm fighting the things from the victory already won. That's how we live our life, with a, with a conscious sense. So the thing I'm battling with right now, Jesus has already defeated it. All I've got to do is begin to enforce it into my life and recognise he's already defeated it. He's already totally removed it at the cross. All I've got to do is actually believe it. I've often said before, I'm the worst person in the world. You never would want me to want to watch a sports event with you. You just wouldn't want to do it. Is that right, Joey? You know, I, I, I'm just not good. I, I, I totally lose it in sports events. I, I, I lose it. I really do. You know, I, 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 can't stand, I can't stand not to know the result. And I'm the most... Probably, the, I'm the, I, I always believe the worst in the match. I'm, I'm just awful. People don't even like to watch, they don't like to watch sport with me because I'm not good to watch it with. It's so much better when I already know the results. I am relaxed. I enjoy it. Because I already know what's happened. And really, in a sense, that's the way it is with the cross. We're struggling and striving to win something that's already been won. And I can relax. I can rest to know, God, you've already done it. Why am I so stressed out about it? Why am I so struggling and striving for something that's already been achieved and already been done at the cross? Turn me to Romans 12, verse 2. Ever heard this saying, and it's true in life, I'll tell you this right now, If you've got animals, you'll know it's true. You can't teach old dogs new tricks. Ever heard that saying? You can't teach old dogs new tricks. I think of an even greater saying. You can't teach a... You definitely can't teach a dead dog new tricks. Is that right? And the reality is today, it's recognising actually, I have died with Christ. Here's Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. Let me ask you this. Do you think for your life today that God's will for you is to live in perpetual defeat? Can you believe that's God's will for them? Do you think God's will for you is to live under continual failure, continual fears, continual struggling with the same things time and time and time again? Anyone believe that's God's will for them? 
Paul says, how do we prove what the acceptable will of God is? God's will for you is not to be controlled by habits, not to be bound up with things in your life, not to continually be living a life that's upset and frustrated and defeated on a continual daily basis. Paul says, this is how you know. This is how you can enter and receive the will of God for your life. And there's the word he used. By the renewing of your mind. In other words, there's the thing. The areas of our life that we're defeated in is because in our mind we've never been renewed over that area of our life that Jesus has defeated it. But when my mind becomes the renewed, for example, if I'm struggling with a fear, I renew my mind by saying, actually, Jesus has defeated that fear. And I begin to change my mind and recognize he's already defeated it. And the more I begin to renew my mind in that fact, then the power of that fear begins to drop off my life. And that covers every dimension and every area of your life. When you get renewed in that area of struggle of your life, that the cross has defeated it, then... You will say, as far as God is concerned, with that struggle, that that thing I'm struggling with right now, it is what? Finished. It's defeated. It's been beaten. And so, and we're not saying we don't have struggles, we don't have issues, we don't have challenges, we don't have failures, but we deal with it through the cross of Jesus. The victory has already been won. It's complete victory. It's complete freedom. It's complete hope. It's confidence in every situation. There's no circumstance. There's no situation. There's no lost cause. The real issue is this. Do I really want to let go of it? Do I really want to deal with that area? If so, the cross can defeat it. Can you say amen? Let me give you one verse. Almost close. Romans 6. Verse 11. I think it's a good verse because a lot of us here today are kind of involved in some way with finance and accounts. And there's a great verse for accountants. Is that right? A great accountant verse. Romans 6, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word reckon, actually, is a word that is used for arithmetic. It's a word of finance, really. It's a calculation. It's like this. Two and two is four. Some of you aren't sure about that. (laughs) You haven't quite got it yet. And it's almost that kind of, that fact. Two and two is four. It's a fact. It can't be changed. Paul says, almost in, the, in, in that same right, in that same mindset, we reckon ourselves dead. It's, 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 a mass, it's a fact. Whether we believe it or not, it's a fact. It's happened. It's already been done. It's already achieved. Recognize yourself dead to sin. Begin to calculate and recognize that in that area right now, the beginning of, that, the beginning of me Defeating that area in my life is firstly recognizing, before I go any further, that thing has already been defeated. That thing I'm already dead to. 
All I've got to do is simply begin to believe it. Let me close with this. I want you to think of the totality of the cross. Just think about it for a moment. Think of how total that victory was. Because it's coming to the point where we say, Lord, I've been worried long enough. I've been depressed long enough. I've been unforgiving long enough. I've been upset long enough. Just help me to die to everything right now that prevents you from doing all that you want to do. Think of the totality on the cross. The Bible says on his back, Jesus was whipped on his back. And the Bible declares, by his what? Stripes. I was healed. People wonder, is that physical healing? It's confirmed in Matthew 8. Where the Bible says that Jesus healed all who came to him in fulfilling the prophet Isaiah, that by his stripes we are healed. I want to think about the hand of Jesus. The Bible says that he took the handwriting of the laws that were written against you. All those areas of your life right now where, where you feel condemned about Areas where you feel accusation, where you feel the enemy accuses you of those areas. The Bible says he took the handwriting that was against us and he put his hand. He removed it, he covered it. As far as God is concerned, it no longer exists. God placed his, he removed the handwriting that was against us. How many of you, I don't know if you've got heavy handwriting. I have. If I write something down, you could quite easily find out what I've wrote. Underneath you can see about, about four sheets down, you can see the, what I just wrote, the mark down. And I think that's powerful and true, that almost there's no, all the handwriting, all the, the marks, the scars that sometimes can be left through failure, through mistakes, it's all been removed by the cross. On his other hand, we're told, he removed our guilt. All the past, everything you've ever committed, he says, I I'm going to remove it. I've died to remove every single thing, every single failure in your life. The feet reminds me, when they put the nails through his feet, it reminds me that we are meant to be on top of things, not failure. And sometimes we come to the cross and say, Lord, thank you. You've removed all my failures. Those things I'm constantly reminded of, the failures I've done in life, the the bad decisions, the the failures, the mistakes. Thank you today that by the cross you have removed all my failures. On the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All that feeling of rejection, all the pain you've ever experienced through rejection has been removed by the cross. The spear on his side where water and blood flow from it speaks of the fact that his broken heart was wounded for the things that break your heart. And really, what's the glory of the cross? I tell you what the glory of the cross is really. is that everything has been dealt with. Everything has been finished. How does that glory of the cross get out? Is when I share with others what the cross has done for me. I'm partaking of that glory by saying this is what the cross has done for me I lived my life once like this I was controlled by all these things in my life but now the cross has removed it 
And now I live a life that is transformed simply by the work of the cross. And that simply is my story. I'm sharing in the glory of the cross. Paul never lost sight of that, ever. The thing that motivated him and drove him to share, to go all over the world sharing the gospel, was the power of the cross in his life that transformed him. And he says, I will glory in the cross, nothing else but the cross, because of what the cross has done and achieved in my life. This is coming for him right now in these moments as we close. Amy, glad the glory of the cross this morning is in the fact that it's finished. We can't add to it and we can't take away from it. But the cross, Jesus did it all. I just want to spend a few moments in your heart right now. I don't know what struggles you might have this morning. Hurts, pains, things that you're really struggling with in your life. I want you to come to a point and say, Lord Jesus, give me a revelation today that really I've died to it. I've died to that. It really honestly doesn't have any power over me anymore. Help me to realize it. Give me a revelation that that which I'm struggling with, I've died to it. It almost really begins with a willingness to let go of it. Saying, Lord, I'm letting go of that right now. And I realize by the cross, it's finished, accomplished, dealt with. The old nature is gone and the new has begun. I thank you, I'm a new creature in Christ for what he's done over me. Just spend a few moments of that truth. But give me revelation today. Give me revelation that I've died to it. I don't have to live under the power of it anymore. I don't have to live under the power of that fear. I don't have to live under the power of that thing that's ruling me, that habit that's controlling me. I no longer have to live under the power anymore because you've truly defeated it. Well, Pastor John has been um, speaking this morning. The the Lord um, (coughs) really has laid this um, picture before me of, of the stages that we have seen in, in this church it, it was burning in me to, to share it and it goes so so incredibly well with what uh, Pastor John has said and the Lord has said through him I'd like to remind you of what the church was like three or four years ago we had got to the stage on Sunday services where we sometimes saw only about 30 to 40 people and we really wanted to see the Lord working amongst us and as leaders we were really praying, we were looking out and one of the things that was that really, really strong is we need to see a church full of young people we had very few young people we had very few um, sort of infants and that was a burning desire and we as leaders spent time 
praying and praying that the Lord would fill this church again with, with young people. Pastor John had been, been um, here many, quite a number of years before he had left. And all of a sudden, in a deacon's, in an, an, an elders' leaders' meeting, I had this word Pastor John's coming back. And I, I remember saying to the Lord, because we can talk to the Lord, I talk to the Lord, and I said, Lord, do you mean Pastor John's coming back? And let me sort of leave you a clue. In Elim, I think it's only happened maybe once or twice ever. We know Pastor John and, and we, we phoned and we said, we've had this word that you're coming back. And he said, we've had that word for the last couple of years. And I said, well, one of the, I can't remember how it came up, but what's your vision for this church? And he said, I see a really powerful young people's work in, in this church. And I said, that's what we've been praying for. I want to say to you this morning, I had tears in my eyes just watching the young people just running around this church. About four years ago, there were hardly any. And this morning they were just here running around, enjoying it. And I was just thanking the Lord for the wonderful way that he has answered our prayers. We've seen the church go from strength to strength. The, the fulfillment of that prayer, and I only mean that prayer, it, it goes with that word, it is finished. But that is not the end. That is something that we have seen fulfilled. And it's being fulfilled. We, we had a word for Joey ages ago. But we, we saw him coming back. We are now sort of fighting for space in this church to find enough room for the young people which is wonderful. In Joey, we see the fulfillment of that as he has returned to lead the young people. Tonight, we will be having a testimony evening. And those of you who have been here will see Christians that we've known for years. I'm probably luckier than a lot of you. I know a lot of those testimonies. But those testimonies are really powerful. Just what the Lord has done and is doing for people here. I think in keeping with that word, the Lord is saying, if you see a dark place, a difficult place, an area that you have been struggling with, as we did as a church, as we a leader saw a church, it was quite small, and we were longing for the Lord to move amongst us again. 
We wanted the young people, but there were very, very few. How could we possibly do it? The answer is we couldn't, but God could. We prayed, and the Lord has done it. It's one of the most wonderful illustrations we've seen. This morning, that area, it is finished. It started in other ways, but the Lord has answered our prayer. If there are things in your life that you are struggling with, areas that you can't see, a way of overcoming, remember, the Lord is there. He is there to help you. Share it with him today. Give it to him. And then just look to the point in the future where he will say in your life, it is finished. It is accomplished. Finished is one word, but one of the other interpretations of that word, when Christ said it is finished, sometimes people wrongly take that to mean the end. Another interpretation of that word is it is accomplished. It is done. It is achieved. Now that is a word to each and every one of us. This morning, the Lord wants to say that to us. I couldn't carry on sitting down. If you have areas in your life that are dark, that you know what needs to be done, but can't see a way out, give it to the Lord in prayer and look forward in his strength to it being accomplished. In Jesus' name, because He has done it. He has done it once and for all. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.